Chapter Eleven of the Chronicles of Avonlea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Chronicles of Avonlea by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter Eleven: The Miracle at Carmody, Part Two. Judith's face hardened until it was as if cut in stone. "'No, he shall not,' she said stubbornly. "'No one living in my household shall ever go to church or Sunday school. I gave in to you when you wanted to teach him to say his prayers, though I knew it was only foolish superstition, but I shan't yield another inch. You know exactly how I feel on this subject, Salome. I believe just as father did. You know he hated churches and church-going, and was there ever a better, kinder, more lovable man?' "'Mother believed in God. Mother always went to church,' pleaded Salome. "'Mother was weak and superstitious, just as you are,' retorted Judith inflexibly. "'I tell you, Salome, I don't believe there is a God. But if there is, he is cruel and unjust, and I hate him.' "'Judith!' gasped Salome, aghast at the impiety. She half expected to see her sister struck dead at her feet. "'Don't Judith me,' said Judith passionately, in the strange anger that any discussion of the subject always roused in her. "'I mean every word I say. Before you got lame I didn't feel much about it one way or another. I'd just as soon have gone with mother as with father. But when you were struck down like that I knew father was right.' For a moment Salome quailed. She felt that she could not, dare not, stand out against Judith. For her own sake she could not have done so, but the thought of Lionel Hezekiah nerved her to desperation. She struck her thin, bleached little hands wildly together. "'Judith, I'm going to church to-morrow,' she cried. "'I tell you I am. I won't set Lionel Hezekiah a bad example one day longer. I'll not take him. I won't go against you in that, for it is your bounty feeds and clothes him, but I'm going myself.' "'If you do, Salome Marsh, I'll never forgive you,' said Judith her harsh face dark with anger, and then, not trusting herself to discuss the subject any longer, she went out. Salome dissolved into her ready tears, and cried most of the night. But her resolution did not fail. Go to church she would, for that dear baby's sake. Judith would not speak to her at breakfast, and this almost broke Salome's heart, but she dared not yield. After breakfast she limped painfully into her room, and still more painfully dressed herself. When she was ready, she took a little old, worn Bible out of her box. It had been her mother's, and Salome read a chapter in it every night, although she never dared to let Judith see her doing it. When she limped out into the kitchen, Judith looked up with a hard face. A flame of sullen anger glowed in her dark eyes, and she went into the sitting-room and shut the door, as if by that act she were shutting her sister forevermore out of her heart and life. Salome, strung up to the last pinch of nervous tension, felt intuitively the significance of that closed door. For a moment she wavered. Oh, she could not go against Judith! She was all but turning back to her room when Lionel Hezekiah came running in and paused to look at her admiringly. "'You look just bully, Aunt Salome,' he said. "'Where are you going?' "'Don't use that word, Lionel Hezekiah,' pleaded Salome. "'I am going to church. Take me with you.' said Lionel Hezekiah promptly. Salome shook her head. "'I can't, dear. Your Aunt Judith wouldn't like it. Perhaps she will let you go after a while. Now do be a good boy while I'm away, won't you? Don't do any naughty things.' "'I won't do them if I know they're naughty,' conceded Lionel Hezekiah. "'But that's just the trouble. I don't know what's naughty and what ain't. Probably if I went to Sunday school I'd find out.' 
Salome limped out of the yard down the lane bordered by its asters and goldenrod. Fortunately, the church was just outside the lane, across the main road, but Salome found it hard to cover even that short distance. She felt almost exhausted when she reached the church and toiled painfully up the aisle to her mother's old pew. She laid her crutch on the seat and sank into the corner by the window with a sigh of relief. She had elected to come early so that she might get there before the rest of the people. The church was as yet empty, save for a class of Sunday school children and their teacher in a remote corner, who paused midway in their lesson to stare with amazement at the astonishing sight of Salome Marsh limping into church. The big building, shadowy from the great elms around it, was very still. A faint murmur came from the closed room behind the pulpit where the rest of the Sunday school was assembled. In front of the pulpit was a stand bearing tall white geraniums in luxuriant blossom. The light fell through the stained-glass window in a soft tangle of hues upon the floor. Salome felt a sense of peace and happiness fill her heart. Even Judith's anger lost its importance. She leaned her head against the window-sill and gave herself up to the flood of tender old recollections that swept over her. Memory went back to the years of her childhood when she had sat in this pew every Sunday with her mother. Judith had come then, too, always seeming grown up to Salome by reason of her ten years' seniority. Her tall, dark, reserved father never came. Salome knew that the Carmody people called him an infidel and looked upon him as a very wicked man. But he had not been wicked. He had been good and kind in his own odd way. The gentle little mother had died when Salome was ten years old, but so loving and tender with Judith's care that the child did not miss anything out of her life. Judith Marsh loved her little sister with an intensity that was maternal. She herself was a plain, repellent girl, liked by few, sought after by no man, but she was determined that Salome should have everything that she had missed—admiration, friendship, love. She would have a vicarious youth in Salome's. All went according to Judith's plan until Salome was eighteen, and then trouble after trouble came. Their father, whom Judith had understood and passionately loved, died. Salome's young lover was killed in a railroad accident, and finally Salome herself developed symptoms of the hip disease which, springing from a trifling injury, eventually left her a cripple. Everything possible was done for her. Judith, falling heir to a snug little fortune by the death of the old aunt for whom she was named, spared nothing to obtain the best medical skill, and in vain. One and all the great doctors failed." Judith had borne her father's death bravely enough in spite of her agony of grief. She had watched her sister pining and fading with the pain of her broken heart without growing bitter, but when she knew at last that Salome would never walk again, save as she hobbled painfully about on her crutch, the smoldering revolt in her soul broke its bounds and overflowed her nature in a passionate rebellion against the being who had sent, or had failed to prevent, these calamities. She did not rave or denounce wildly, that was not Judith's way, but she never went to church again, and it soon became an accepted fact in Carmody that Judith Marsh was as rank an infidel as her father had been before her, nay, worse, since she would not even allow Salome to go to church, and shut the door in the minister's face when he went to see her. I should have stood out against her for conscience's sake, reflected Salome in her pew self-reproachfully. But, oh, dear, I'm afraid she'll never forgive me, and how can I live if she doesn't? But I must endure it for Lionel Hezekiah's sake. My weakness has perhaps done him a great harm already. They say that what a child learns in the first seven years never leaves him, 
so Lionel Hezekiah only has another year to get set right about these things. Oh, if I've left it till too late! When the people began to come in, Salome felt painfully the curious glances directed at her. Look where she would, she met them, unless she looked out of the window, so out of the window she did look unswervingly, her delicate little face burning crimson with self-consciousness. She could see her home in its backyard plainly, with Lionel Hezekiah making mud-pies joyfully in the corner. Presently she saw Judith come out of the house and stride away to the pine-wood behind it. Judith always betook herself to the pines in time of mental stress and strain. Salome could see the sunlight shining on Lionel Hezekiah's bare head as he mixed his pies. In the pleasure of watching him she forgot where she was, and the curious eyes turned on her. Suddenly Lionel Hezekiah ceased concocting pies, and betook himself to the corner of the summer kitchen, where he proceeded to climb up to the top of the storm fence, and from there to mount the sloping kitchen roof. Salome clasped her hands in agony. What if the child should fall? Oh, why had Judith gone away and left him alone? What if— what if and then while her brain with lightning-like rapidity pictured forth a dozen possible catastrophes something really did happen lionel hezekiah slipped sprawled wildly slid down and fell off the roof in a bewildering whirl of arms and legs plump into the big rain-water hogshead under the spout which was generally full to the brim with rain-water a hogshead big and deep enough to swallow up half a dozen small boys who went climbing kitchen roofs on sunday then something took place that is talked of in Carmody to this day, and even fiercely wrangled over, so many and conflicting are the opinions on the subject. Salome Marsh, who had not walked a step without assistance for fifteen years, suddenly sprang to her feet with a shriek, ran down the aisle, and out of the door. Every man, woman, and child in the Carmody church followed her, even to the minister who had just announced his text. When they got out, Salome was already halfway up her lane, running wildly. In her heart was room for but one agonized thought. Would Lionel Hezekiah be drowned before she reached him? She opened the gate of the yard, and panted across it just as a tall, grim-faced woman came around the corner of the house and stood rooted to the ground in astonishment at the sight that met her eyes. But Salome saw nobody. She flung herself against the hogshead and looked in, sick with terror at what she might see. What she did see was Lionel Hezekiah sitting on the bottom of the hogshead, in water that came only to his waist. He was looking rather dazed and bewildered, but was apparently quite uninjured. The yard was full of people, but nobody had as yet said a word. Awe and wonder held everybody in spellbound silence. Judith was the first to speak. She pushed through the crowd to Salome. Her face was blanched to a deadly whiteness, and her eyes, as Mrs. William Blair afterwards declared, were enough to give a body the creeps. Salome, she said in a high, shrill, unnatural voice, where is your crutch? Salome came to herself at the question. For the first time she realized that she had walked, nay, run, all that distance from the church alone and unaided. She turned pale, swayed, and would have fallen if Judith had not caught her. Old Dr. Blair came forward briskly. Carry her in, he said, and don't all of you come crowding in either. She wants quiet and rest for a spell. Most of the people obediently returned to the church, their sudden, loosened tongues clattering in voluble excitement. A few women assisted Judith to carry Salome in and lay her on the kitchen lounge, followed by the doctor and the dripping Lionel Hezekiah, whom the minister had lifted out of the hogshead, and to whom nobody now paid the slightest attention. Salome faltered out her story, and her hearers listened with varying emotions. 
"'It's a miracle,' said Sam Lawson, in an awed voice. Dr. Blair shrugged his shoulders. "'There is no miracle about it,' he said bluntly. "'It's all perfectly natural. The disease in the hip has evidently been quite well for a long time. Nature does sometimes work cures like that when she is let alone. The trouble was that the muscles were paralyzed by long disuse. That paralysis was overcome by the force of a strong and instinctive effort. Salome, get up and walk across the kitchen.' Salome obeyed. She walked across the kitchen and back, slowly, stiffly, falteringly, now that the stimulus of frantic fear was spent, but still she walked. The doctor nodded his satisfaction. "'Keep that up every day. Walk as much as you can without tiring yourself, and you'll soon be as spry as ever. No more need of crutches for you, but there's no miracle in the case.' Judith Marsh turned to him. She had not spoken a word since her question concerning Salome's crutch. Now she said passionately, "'It was a miracle. God has worked it to prove his existence for me, and I accept the proof.' The old doctor shrugged his shoulders. Being a wise man, he knew when to hold his tongue. "'Well, put Salome to bed and let her sleep the rest of the day. She's worn out. And for pity's sake let someone take that poor child and put some dry clothes on him before he catches his death of cold.' That evening, as Salome Marsh lay in her bed in a glory of sunset light, her heart filled with unutterable gratitude and happiness, Judith came into the room. She wore her best hat and dress, and she held Lionel Hezekiah by the hand. Lionel Hezekiah's beaming face was scrubbed clean, and his curls fell in beautiful sleekness over the lace collar of his velvet suit. "'How do you feel now, Salome?' asked Judith gently. "'Better. I've had a lovely sleep. But where are you going, Judith?' "'I am going to church,' said Judith firmly, "'and I am going to take Lionel Hezekiah with me.' End of chapter 11, part 2